You may be familiar with the Jewish concept of beshert. Beshert is this idea of a faded match. Usually we hear this term in the context of a romantic couple and the idea that God has each given us a beshert, a soulmate with whom we are meant to share our lives. But this idea of beshert, of fadedness, it is not limited to romantic relationships or even to people. There is an idea that each Torah portion is beshert. That is to say that whatever the Torah portion is for that particular week, it will be inevitably, faithfully connected to what is going on both in your life that week and in our world that week. The pairing was meant to be. This week, we begin the book of Leviticus, a book dedicated to the procedures of giving offerings in the temple. To quote Rabbi Janet Martyr, her words, most of Leviticus is tough to digest. It is an instruction manual and technical writing rarely yields compelling drama or inspiring ethical teachings. She continues, the language of our portion this week is formal, stylized, repetitive, precise. Yet, she goes on, the dryness of language cannot quite disguise the essential problem with what transpires here. The portion, the Torah, this week is slippery with blood. Rising up from the page are the screams of dying animals, the pungent stink of smoke and burning flesh on the sacrificial altars. Upon hearing that last line, perhaps you, like me, when I read it earlier this week, could not help but think of the bloodshed, the stink of smoke, the burning flesh that is occurring not thousands of years ago in ancient ritual, but today an ocean away from where we sit in the sanctuary. To be clear, to attempt to compare the violence of the sacrificial rites of Israelite, Israelite worship with the violence of what is turning into unrestricted total war happening in Ukraine, to attempt to make that comparison is inappropriate. To think that the bloody sacrifices of this Torah portion has anything in common with the very real horrors of this moment is grotesque. And yet, this is our Torah portion, and this is our world. This week, we read detailed instructions for violent rituals of animal sacrifices, and we read the news and see pictures of dead and dying children. It is 22 degrees in Mariupol right now, 22 degrees on the 15th day that the city's half million residents have been without heat, have been without food, have been without water. Earlier this week, Rabbi Julia Gris, the rabbi of the Progressive Synagogue of Odessa, told of her experience leaving Ukraine on a Zoom call. She happened to be in Lviv on vacation when the war started. She was able to get a ride close to the border with Poland, but at some point, along with her daughter, she had to get out of the car. The remaining 18 miles to get to the Polish border. She walked on foot. Rabbi Greece mentioned she walked 18 miles, but there were others who walked 40. It was below freezing. 
She had one suitcase, one daughter, two cats. For 40 hours they walked. They waited, they stood in lines. There was no sitting, there was no eating, no drinking, there were no bathrooms. And finally, they were processed through the border and admitted to Poland. On the other side were volunteers handing out food, the water, welcoming them. Rabbi Greece is in Poland now and she is safe. On the call, she said, I've got a key from my apartment in Odessa. And that's it. She continued, I almost accept the idea I will not have the possibility to go to Ukraine for a long time. She is but one of 2.5 million Ukrainian refugees, 1.5 million who are in Poland right now, looking at their proverbial and literal keychains. The car key, the house key, the office key. Will I ever use any of these again? Will I ever have my life again? And the people looking at those keychains in Poland are, of course, the lucky ones. Rabbi Greece's story has an added layer to it. She shared that as she was walking, she was thinking not just about her own situation, but about her grandfather. Grandfather who was also a refugee, walking through the same forested countryside a century earlier, walking after he was orphaned, after his parents were murdered in a pogrom, except her grandfather had been going in the opposite direction. He had been fleeing from Poland to Ukraine. And here she was, a hundred years later, going in the opposite direction. Rabbi Greece spoke for almost an hour, and it's worth watching all of it, and we will try to post the link to the YouTube recording of the Zoom call on our uh, Temple Facebook page later tonight or tomorrow. And admittedly, I've never lived through the trauma of fleeing a war zone, but I imagine if I had, I'd be pretty focused on trying to process what I had just experienced. And she did tell her story. She also told her efforts to help her congregation, those who had already left, those who are still in Ukraine trying to leave, and those who are staying behind. Staying behind, including the congregation's president, Lina, who made it her job to protect the synagogue's Torahs. But then Rabbi Greece said something else. Rather than quote her, I'm going to share her words directly. For those watching online, you'll see it, obviously. But for those here, if you want to see the video, you can look behind you to the screens or simply hear the audio as we hear a few minutes that Rabbi Greece shared with us earlier this week. I've got very bad experience going to the border. It's true. But I saw close to me people who got worse experience. With Ukrainian citizens to the border going lots of uh, foreign students from Ukraine. They are from uh, countries of Africa, Asia, and other parts of the world. And uh, they experience so bad um, relationship to them it's another part how to think not only about yourself they on the border they treated so badly 
and it's also print. You can see who who are close to you and who needs your help. And when we got some support from volunteers of uh, Polish side, we tried to share this very simple food with these students from uh, Africa who didn't receive this support before, who stay on the border not two days like me, but four days, with a very uh, with very light clothes, in very light clothes, also without food and um, bring with water, without water, they stay four or five days. And uh, what I can do, I just raise my voice to support them. We are safe. We are in a good place. But we still don't know what going on with Ukraine, with our country, with our city, and with our friends. What you just heard was a person who had to flee for her life, for her daughter's life. A person who spent 40 hours walking in the freezing cold and who while recording this Zoom call, was sitting in an apartment that was not hers, looking at her own keys, wondering if she was ever going to use them again, when or if she will. And what is it that she says? I had a very bad experience, but I saw close to me people who had a worse experience. My friends, that is the most powerful Torah I have heard in a very long time. What is a mensch? A mensch, it's not a good person. That's too easy and that's too simple. A mensch is someone who can be suffering and in deep pain and deep hurt and can recognize that the person next to them is hurting more. It's the person sitting in the hospital bed who can't stop worrying about the stranger in the room next door. That is the Torah from Rabbi Greece. The last chapter of this week's Torah portion begins by describing sacrifices brought to atone for various sins. The first sin listed in what my teacher, Dr. Tamara Eskenazi, notes is the first specific sin mentioned in all of Leviticus is the sin of witnessing a crime but not speaking up. This could have been any sin, could have been anything. It could have been the sin of touching an impure animal. That happens to be listed next. That's the second sin of Leviticus. But that wasn't it. It was the sin of being silent in the face of injustice that is listed as the first sin in this book. As Dr. Eskenazi argues, looking past all of the technical instructions and all of the gore of Leviticus, this parasha, this portion, expresses a deep concern with social justice. And please stay tuned during the announcements. We'll share a website uh, for the WUPJ, the World Union for Progressive Judaism, organizing funds to support Jewish communities in Ukraine uh, and to support refugees who are leaving Ukraine. So please stay tuned for how you can help. 
I had a very bad experience, but I saw close to me people who had a worse experience. People I don't know, people who come from countries I've never seen, but people, people who deserve better. I haven't slept for 40 hours, but I cannot stop thinking about this person who hasn't slept for 50. To think that way, to act that way, to speak that way, that is Judaism. That is Torah, and that is our job as Jews. May we follow Rabbi Greece's example. Can you hear us own?